0: All right, well, hey, everybody, welcome to Eaglebrook Church. Really good to have you with us today. If you're at one of our campuses or if you're watching this message online someplace around the world, always great to have you with us as well. We are kicking off a brand new series today called If I Could Just Be Free. If you could be free of anything in your life, what would that be? Some of you would say, you know what? It's my anger. You know, I just lose my temper. I can't get control of my emotions. If I could just be free of that. Some of you would mention anxiety. You get stressed, you get worried, and you think, boy, if I, could, if I could somehow get free of my anxiety, boy, wouldn't that be something in my life? Some of you would mention another person. You'd say, you know what, it's my neighbor, it's my coworker, it's my boss, it's my ex. I mean, if I could just be free of that, that would do so much for my life. Who or what would you like to be free from? Now, the idea for this series came as I was reading through 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I was really struck by verse 17. Here's what it says. It says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. In other words, when you are the closest to God, that's when you are the most free in your life, which was an interesting connection for me. Because if I were to pull people on the street and I said, hey, give me one word to describe what it's like to be close to God, I'm guessing that most people would not use the word freedom. To them, Christianity is about rules and regulations. It sounds very constricting. It doesn't sound freeing at all. But the Bible says that where the spirit of the Lord is, where you're the closest to God, that's where freedom is found. Not so much from co-workers and in-laws and neighbors and things like that. That's what we would like. We would like God to change our circumstances. But the freedom that's being spoken of here is internal. It's freedom from things like anger and anxiety, bitterness and resentment. And today's message is titled, Freedom from Regret. Is there anything in your past that you regret? Even if you haven't had a particularly difficult childhood or upbringing, I'm guessing you have at least a few regrets I have all sorts of them. I regret some of my fashion choices as a kid. I think those are Wisconsin Badger shorts. I don't even like the Badgers, but you should never wear striped shorts like that. It just never should have gotten out of the house wearing those. And then you got the tube socks. I mean, there's just all kinds of things wrong with that picture. I regret that I bought a bright blue blazer for my senior year pictures. I particularly regretted it last week when our senior pastor showed this picture and immediately got uproarious laughter from people. You were like, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. I had some regrets last week when I saw that. I had some regrets for growing out my hair in college. That's not a real good look on me. It's better than some people that I know, but uh, bring up the next picture there. Yeah, it's better than some people I know. (laughs) But it just wasn't really a great look on me, I guess. Uh, I regret that when I was in college, uh, for a whole summer, I wore black socks with sandals. I thought I was blazing a new trail in fashion, only to find out that all of my coworkers had been mocking me the entire summer for this. I regret that the first two tapes that I ever bought were Whitney Houston and Michael Bolton. That's not a great start. I was a teenager, I was at a dark spot in my life. You're right, I was just spiraling. And I bought Whitney Houston and Michael Bolton. I followed that up with Ice Cube and Metallica. So clearly I was a confused kid, right, who just didn't know who he was or what he liked. I have some more serious regrets as well. I remember when I was in high school, I stayed out late one night, and the next day, we were visiting my grandma. And my grandma asked me a bunch of questions, you know, how's school, how are your friends? And I just grunted a response. My mom kind of pulled me aside afterwards and said, you know, I think you can probably do better talking to your grandma. And I remember that day at my grandma's funeral. And I thought, man, I would do anything to be able to go back and have that conversation again. I have more recent regrets as well. I've told this story before, but this past summer, I talked my two oldest sons into pitching batting practice to each other. And my nine-year-old son, Hudson, who's the younger of the two, he was really hesitant about this. I had to pretty much force him to go get his batting gloves, get his batting helmet, that kind of thing. He was really hesitant when his brother's first pitch went sailing a foot over his head. And he looked at me and he was like, Dad, please. He's like, I'm afraid he's gonna hit me. I said, he's never hit anybody in his life. He pitches all the time. You're gonna be fine. My exact words were, swing the bat. You get in there, you swing the bat. Next pitch hit him right in the face. Knocked out two of his teeth. Permanent ones. I couldn't help but think to myself, if I could just go back, if I could just go back in the house and get a softer ball to to pitch with, if I could just listen to my son's intuition and not be a bully of a dad who pushed him into doing something that he didn't want to do. It's a struggle for a lot of dads, isn't it? I just thought, you know what? I would do anything for a redo in that moment. Maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you say, you know what? I would do anything to take back those words. I mean, I just got caught up in the emotion of the moment. I didn't really mean to say it, but it just came out, and now I can't do anything to bring them back. I really regret what I said. Maybe for you, it's a social media post, and you say, you know what? It was just late at night. I grabbed my phone. I threw something out there on Twitter, and it created this controversy and this firestorm, and boy, if I could go back and do it differently, I would. Maybe you say, you know what? I never should have gone to that party. I never should have gotten behind that wheel. I never should have purchased that item or spent that money. I never should have dated that person. I never should have said yes to that commitment or allowed them to talk me into doing that. Psalm 34 verse 8 says it this way. David writes, my guilt has overwhelmed me. It's overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. How many of us came to church today and it feels like we're wearing a backpack filled with bricks? And it's not even like something we wake up in the morning and consciously think about. It's just, there's this something in our life that kind of weighs us down. It's just a burden to us. And it's our sin. It's our guilt. It's our shame. It's our past. What is it in your life that you regret? Now, some of you might answer that question, no regrets. I mean, that's kind of the mantra of our day, isn't it? People will say things like, you know what? I've made some mistakes. I'm not perfect. But everything that I've done has just served to make me stronger. It's made me who I am today. And so I'll tell you what, I don't have any regrets. And maybe that's what you would believe. And if that's true, that's a little bit of a problem for me because I'm going to talk about regret for the next 20 minutes or so. And so before you just check out and start playing Angry Birds on your phone or something like that, Give me a moment to try to convince you that not only do we all have regrets, but it's actually those regrets that oftentimes weigh us down in life. Here's what I believe. No one is immune to the pains of this life. Every single one of us has hurt another person at one point or another. And that hurt doesn't go away just because you pump yourself up and say, no regrets. You cannot trick your soul. Your soul knows what it did. Your soul knows how you hurt that other person. And here's the truth. You're not over your past if it's still impacting your present. I talk to people all the time who are a prisoner to their past. That there's something from their past that they may not have gone behind bars for it, but they're in prison nevertheless. That there's something in their life that just weighs them down and continues to affect them to this day, so many people desperate to be rid of the guilt and the regret and shame that imprisons them. In the Bible, there were two of Jesus' closest followers and friends who made big mistakes. And I hope that encourages you a little bit, because you can make big mistakes and still get close to God in your life. But the night that Jesus was, or before he was arrested, he went to a garden to pray. His disciple Judas knew just where to find him. You see, earlier that day, Judas had agreed to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It was all planned. It was all predetermined. Judas would lead the soldiers to the garden, and then he would greet Jesus with a kiss. And that was the signal. The soldiers would then spring into action. But Judas wasn't the only one of Jesus' followers to betray him that night. You see, shortly after Judas left to go make these arrangements, his follower and disciple Peter Looked at Jesus and he said, Jesus, I will never deny you. I've got your back. I'm loyal to you to the end. And Jesus looked at him and he said, Peter, you're not just going to deny me once or twice, but you're actually going to deny me three times. And then he adds this odd detail. He says, and then on the third time, you're going to hear a rooster crow. So after Jesus was arrested, Peter followed at a safe distance He wanted to see what was gonna happen to Jesus. And so Peter was standing in the courtyard of the high priest, warming his hands by a fire, when all of a sudden this servant girl looks at him and she goes, wait a minute. Aren't you one of those guys that was with Jesus? And Peter does what he vowed he would never, ever do. He denies even knowing the man. Quick pause, have you ever done something that you vowed you would never, ever do? Three times that night, Peter denies even knowing Jesus. Luke 22 says it this way. It says, at that moment, the Lord, that's Jesus, turned and looked at Peter. In other words, right as Peter denied him for the third time, Jesus was being led out of this courtyard, and they locked eyes for just a moment. It says that suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. He wasn't the only one. Matthew 27 verse 3 says that when Judas realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. What a statement. Filled with remorse. Anyone here today filled with remorse over something from your past? Both Judas and Peter made mistakes that they would love to go back and redo. I mean, if they could go back in time and do it differently, they would, but they can't. You can't. I can't. If you know how the story ends, Judas ends up hanging himself. The remorse that filled him ultimately killed him. Peter, on the other hand, it says, wept bitterly. And he wasn't just crying because he got caught and Jesus discovered what had happened. It was deeper than that. In fact, I think 2 Corinthians chapter 7 can kind of help us make a distinction between how Judas and Peter dealt with their regret differently. Here's what that verse says. It says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. In other words, there's two different kinds of sorrow. There's a worldly sorrow. And there's a godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is upset that it got caught. I mean, I wish my wife or my husband wouldn't have seen that email. I wish they wouldn't have found that text message. I feel really bad about that. But mostly I feel bad because now i got to deal with the consequences and the fallout. I didn't confess what I had done. I just simply got caught. And that's a worldly sorrow that you can carry with you for the rest of your life. But there's a different kind of sorrow. It's a godly sorrow. And a godly sorrow is heartbroken over what it's done. A godly sorrow repents, which is a really fancy church word for I'm not going to do that again. And I'm not just making empty promises. I mean, I'll go to treatment. I'll go see a counselor. I'll get rid of that computer. I'll do whatever it takes to get rid of that in my life. In fact, look at what godly sorrow leads to again. It says that godly sorrow, go back to the last one, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. In other words, this is how you are saved, by having this heartbroken sense of, you know what, God, I need to get right with you. But then notice what it leads to. It leads to salvation and leaves no regret. In other words, it's possible to have a regret-free life. It starts with a godly sorrow and Repentance. And that's my prayer and hope for each of you today, that you could walk out of church and say, you know what? I truly have no regrets. Let me give you three truths that will help you get to that kind of life. The first one is this. Your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. Isn't that good news? I mean, there are times when we do something and we go, yeah, you know, that, that was kind of a biggie. I'm not sure God could forgive that. The truth is, your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. In his book, Grace is Greater, author Kyle Eidelman tells a story about a time that he and his wife got into a big fight, and he probably wouldn't want me to tell you this story, but it's in his book, so it's kind of out there a little bit, and he and his wife got into this big, huge argument, and Kyle Eidelman, the author and pastor, got so angry, he punched a hole through his closet door. Now, if you're a pastor, that's not the kind of thing you really want on your resume, right? Right? That's the kind of thing that makes people go, ooh, pastor, I cannot believe, you know, that kind of reaction from people, which you always just love. So he did what everybody would really do in this situation. He went out to TJ Maxx and bought a mirror, covered it up, just stuck it right over the door. No one would ever know. That is until one night at two o'clock in the morning, the mirror fell off and shattered. Eidelman writes about that experience in his book, Grace is Greater. I've used a lot of his book in this message. He says, the metaphor was hard for me to miss. I like to think of myself as a patient, kind, and humble man who doesn't take himself too seriously. That's how I see myself, and that's the image I want others to have of me, especially my wife. But as I bent down and started picking up the broken pieces of mirror, I couldn't help but see myself broken and shattered. I wish I could go back and do it differently, but I'll forever be a husband who got mad and put his fist through a door. Maybe you can relate. No need to raise any hands, but how many of us here would say, you know what, I I just wonder if forever I'm going to be the angry husband or the angry wife. I I just wonder if for my whole life, I'm going to be that person who really wasn't there for my kids or if I'm going to be the person who was the cheater, the adulterer, the, the ex-con or the addict, that really my whole life I'm going to carry this with me. Here's what you need to know. Your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12 says it this way. It says, make sure that no one misses out on God's grace. But you can miss out on a lot of things, and that's perfectly fine, but don't miss this. Don't miss the grace of God. I mean, what a tragedy would it be if you came to church your whole life and you came to church and you felt more guilty and I should have done this, should have done that. And the whole time you actually missed out on the grace of God. You missed out on the healing and forgiveness that's offered to every one of us. That you missed out on the new start and the fresh life that you can have in Jesus Christ. You can miss a lot of things, but don't miss this. Don't miss the grace of God. How do you miss the grace of God? Well, very simply, you say, you know what, God, I don't need your help. I'll figure this out on my own. Yeah, I did some bad things. I'll do some really good things to make up for it. I don't need your grace. I don't need your forgiveness. Or we continue to hide and cover up what we've done. The morning after Eidelman got done picking up this mirror, he felt like God wanted him to share that story in a message at his church. And he went to his wife and he said, you know, I'm I'm kind of embarrassed about this. I'm really worried what people are going to think about me. And she gave him a little dismissive laugh and she goes, trust me, we're not the only ones with a few holes in the wall. So he got up that morning and he spoke to his church and he talked about the difference between regret and repenting in a way that actually allows you to receive God's grace. And he came clean and talked about how he lost his temper and put a hole through the wall. And when the message was over, he saw one of the leaders from his church, one of the people on the elder board walking right towards him. I mean, just on a beeline. And he was like, "Uh oh, what's this going to be about? The guy walked up to him. He gave him a hug. And then he whispered in his ear, he said, nobody knows this, but there's a picture in my bedroom that's covering up a hole. When he got done talking to him, there were five other men who were lined up to tell the same story. Let me ask you, any holes in your wall? Anything you've been trying to cover up or hide from other people? Friends, you are one confession away. You are one moment of saying, you know what? I'm not going to hide this anymore. I'm not going to cover this up anymore. You are one moment from experiencing God's grace. Your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. Here's the second truth that can hopefully set you free of regret. It's this forgiveness requires repentance. Let me explain what this means. I hear from more and more people lately, and they'll say things like this. I don't feel forgiven. I mean, I've asked God to forgive me. I have prayed that God would forgive me, but I just don't feel forgiven. I'll talk to other people, and they have this real dismissive attitude, and they're like, God's going to forgive me. I mean, me and the big guy in the sky, we're, we're cool. And you can tell by their tone that there's not really any genuine remorse or repentance. What does repentance mean? Well, I kind of touched on it, but it simply means to confess your sins and to turn away from them. Hebrews 12:1 paints this picture it says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that hinders our progress in the first century. It was quite common to have Olympic like games and races. And apparently, one of the common practices was that runners would strip naked before they would run in the race. I'm serious. Now, we kind of take this for granted today, because we've got dry fit shirts and shorts and yoga pants. But back then, you're wearing a robe, or you've got like a toga on, and you're going, this is going to hinder my progress. I can't run in this. So they would strip down, and they would run naked. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm running with a bunch of naked men... I'm coming in first, okay? I'm not coming in second. I'm not coming in third. My eyes are going to be on the finish line, all right? You can look at whatever you see behind me. I'm looking at the finish line. That's kind of how I look at that whole deal. But here's what the author of Hebrews says. He says, strip off everything that hinders your progress. Let me ask you, what is it that's been hindering your progress lately? You have these goals, you have these aspirations for your life, you have this direction that you sense that God wants you to go, but then there's just that one thing, and it might not even be a sin, it might not even be a bad thing, but I'm telling you, it's hindering your progress, and every time you start moving in the direction God wants you to go, this is the thing that just holds you back, what is that for you? Hebrews 12:1, a different translation, so same verse, just a different way of saying it, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. When I was in college, I took a class where we traveled to the countries of Greece and Turkey to study the Bible. And so one day I was sitting in the city of Ephesus, which is where the New Testament letter of Ephesians was written to. And I was listening to this speaker talk about the city. I was in an outdoor amphitheater listening to him talk about the city of Ephesus. Now, if you've ever been to Greece and Turkey before, there are stray dogs and cats everywhere. Okay, it's really crazy. And in Ephesus, there were stray cats everywhere you looked. And so they told us, they said, under no circumstances are you ever to pet the cats. Okay, apparently they're not always friendly and they can carry diseases. Whatever you do, do not pet the cats. So I'm in the back row of this outdoor amphitheater, like the 15th row, listening to this speaker when all of a sudden this cat comes up and starts purring at me. And I don't even really like cats, but I thought this was a cute cat. And so I thought about petting it, and then I was like, well, wait a minute, remember what they said? Do not pet the cats. And so I didn't. But then the cat walks over right in front of me and starts doing one of these deals on my leg. And he's just kind of rubbing up against. And I thought, oh, the poor guy's got an itch. I mean, it's not going to hurt anything if I just scratch his back a little bit. And then I started thinking, I'm in the back row. I mean, no one's going to find out about this. No one's going to see about this. I'm not hurting anybody else. I've got this under control. And so I started to pet the cat. And you could tell the cat was loving it. I mean, he was rubbing up against me. And then he jumped up into my lap and started snuggling up against me. Now I'm thinking, Jason, they told you not even to pet the cat. And now you've got him in your lap and you're like snuggling him. But then again, I thought, you know what? I'm in the 15th row. I'm in the back row. Nobody's going to see. I'm not hurting anyone else. And besides, I've got this under control. All I'm just doing is just petting the cat a little bit. Right as I'm thinking through all this, and I have no idea why, the cat goes, wow, flares up its claws, jumps onto my head, and starts clawing at me and biting me. So now I've got this cat completely wrapped around my head trying to kill me. And it's making kind of a commotion, like the people behind are turning around like, what's going on up there? And at that moment, I can feel the cat starting to bite my ear. And so in a moment of complete panic, I just chucked him. But I had so much adrenaline built up because the cat startled me that I ended up throwing him all 15 rows down the amphitheater right past the speaker up front who was talking. So this guy's up front and he's like, in the ancient city of Ephesus, this cat goes flying right by his head. I mean, I honestly threw him like 20, 25 feet. And this cat must have had nine lives because he just kind of got up and scattered away. Now, here's my point. I thought that petting the cat would be no big deal. But petting the cat led to the cat jumping up in my lap. And once he was in my lap, he turned on me. Sin is the exact same way. At first, you think to yourself, this isn't going to be a big deal. My parents aren't going to find out. My spouse isn't gonna find out. My coworkers and friends, they're not gonna know about this. I'm not hurting anyone else. And besides, I got this under control. I'm just gonna do it like one time. I'm just gonna pet the cat for just a little bit. I totally got this. But petting the sin leads to the sin jumping up in your lap. And then you start to think, oh, this is gonna be fun. This is gonna make my life so much happier, so much more relaxing. But here's what you need to know. Sin is not your friend. And before you know it, that sin will have turned on you. It'll be wrapped around your life, biting at you, clawing at you, and trying to tear you apart. That's why you got to throw it off. Look again what the author of Hebrews says. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. It entangles like a cat wrapped around your head. It's just wrapped all over the place. He says, you gotta throw that off, whatever that is. Then he says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Friends, God has a unique plan and purpose for your life. He has a race marked out for you. But in order for you to run that race with perseverance, you're gonna have to throw some things off. What is that for you? What is it that's been hindering your progress? What is it that's been holding you back from the unique plan and purposes that God has for your life? Don't pet it. Don't let it up in your lap. You've got to throw it off. That's repentance. And forgiveness requires repentance. Here's the third truth that can lead you to a regret-free life. It's this. You can't change your past, but Christ can change your future. I was reading in the Old Testament recently, and I came across a verse in Joel chapter 2, verse 25, that kind of stuck out to me. It says this, it says, I will repay, God is speaking here, and he says, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. Now, this was written to an agricultural economy. And so a locust attack was, was common for them. And when a locust would come, that was a big deal. Because they would kill the crop from the previous year, which meant there was no seed for the current year which meant there was no seed to plant the next year's crop. In other words, a locust attack could set you back three years of income. And here's God speaking. And God says, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. Let me ask you, have the locusts eaten anything in your life? Now, of course, I'm not talking about literal locusts anymore. I'm asking, what is it in your life you feel like you missed out on? What is it you feel like you lost out on? Maybe you're a student or a teenager and there are kids in your school who are doing things that you know God doesn't want you to do. But there's part of you that's like, but what if I miss out? And what if I'm not accepted by them? And what if I don't get in the group of friends that I really, really want to be in? I don't want to miss out on that. Or maybe you've struggled with alcohol. Or you're a recovering alcoholic. And there are whole years and events of your life that are just a little bit foggy, and you missed out on those. Or maybe you're the parent of adult child, and you look back and you go, man, I, I wasn't there enough, and I really missed out on some things that were important. Where is it in your life that you look back and go, you know what, I missed out on that. I lost out on that. God says, I can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Wouldn't it be something if that could be true in our lives? In July, the New York Times ran an article about a Jesuit priest who started an organization to help gang members have their tattoos removed. It all started when a man named Father Boyle was heartbroken over the number of young men in his church who were losing their lives to gang participation. And so he started to get involved to help these young men get out of the gangs, but there was a permanent problem. Gang tattoos served as an everyday reminder of who they belonged to and who they were. You are a gang member. That's your identity. And so he went to a doctor friend of his, and he said, would you donate to me a laser removal machine and your time? And today there's an organization that runs from nine to five that has 3,000 gang members on a waiting list. 3,000 gang members who want a fresh start in life. 3,000 gang members who say, you know what? I want to shed the old labels. Wouldn't it be something if there was a laser removal machine for your soul? That your whole life you've been labeled. And your whole life people have said, you know what? You're a failure. You're a mistake. You, you were an angry person. You, you weren't very good mom or dad. You, you blew it. You know what, you, you've never been that good looking. You've never been that athletic. You're an addict. You're a divorcee. You're a jailbird. You, you've been labeled your whole life. Wouldn't it be something if you could shed those old labels and you could find a new identity? Bible says that you can. Second Corinthians chapter five says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. That the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the old labels are gone. The old identity is no longer. And you become a new creation. And your identity is as a child of God. Is God's son or God's daughter. And when that happens, God pours his grace and his forgiveness out into your life. And you get a clean start and no regrets. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of every wrong. Your biggest sin is not too big for God's grace. And when you have a godly sorrow and you come before God and you confess your sin and you say, Jesus, I want you in my life. He is faithful to cleanse you of every wrong. In just a moment, I wanna lead you in a prayer. And if you have never prayed before to put your faith in Jesus Christ, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. And maybe you don't even totally understand what that means, but what you're saying is, God, I confess my sin. I believe that Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for that sin. And right now, God, I want a relationship with you. When I'm done praying, I'm going to invite the band back out at your campus. And we're going to sing a closing song together. And at the beginning of the song, I want to encourage you to just remain seated. Close your eyes, maybe just lean forward. And spend a moment talking to God and just pray and say, God, is there something hindering my progress? Is there something I just need to throw off? Or maybe for you, there's a burden that you've been carrying. It's it's your guilt and your shame. And Today you say, God, would you release me from that? Spend a moment praying to God and then we're gonna stand together and we're gonna sing that we serve a God who is able to do more than we ever ask or imagine you join me as we pray? You can remain seated. Lord, I pray for that person here who says, you know what? It's time. I want a fresh start. I want to shed the old labels and know that I am forgiven and have been cleansed of every wrong. God, right now they're just going to pray this prayer with me in the quietness of their mind. Jesus, I confess that I have sinned against you. I've hurt other people. And most importantly, God, I've done things that you've asked me not to do. But right now, God, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross to pay the penalty that I could not pay for myself. And so right now, God, I receive your grace and your forgiveness into my life. God, would you give me a fresh start? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you give me a new identity and help me shed those old labels? And from this day forward, may I be your son and your daughter. God, for all of us, maybe there are things in our past that we still regret, that still weigh us down today. I pray right now as we talk to you about those, that you would set us free. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you just take a moment to tell someone before you leave today? We've got a Next Steps area in the lobby of your campus. Just tell the people there, hey, I prayed that prayer. And we don't want anything from you. We just want to get you a Bible and some free resources. Or you can text the word BELIEVE to 555-888 if that's just more convenient for you. We don't want this to just be a prayer. We want it to be the start of a relationship with God. And so we want to give you some resources to do that. But now, would you just spend a moment in prayer? Close your eyes, lean forward, and talk to God about the things that have been hindering and maybe the burdens that you need to let go.
1: Before we go, just a reminder that if you prayed that prayer with Jason, don't forget to stop by Next Steps or text BELIEVE to five 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 eight is the best decision that you could ever make. Let me pray for us. God, we are so thankful that you have already won the fight. God, would you remind us this week that you are the one that brings freedom. God, help us to run after you to just put off the weight that entangles us, that weighs us down to leave the regrets behind and run after you. Remind us this week that freedom is found in you. So Jesus, we pray all of these things and we're thankful for the transformation that you bring when we put our faith in you and we follow you, Lord. It's all of these things that we pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for being here, everybody. We'll see you next week.